Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Bike Radar podcast. My name's Alex Evans. I'm one of Bike Radar's senior technical editors. Today I am joined by fellow senior technical editor Tom Marvin, technical writer Luke Marshall and video presenter Tom Law. How are you guys all doing today, Tom M? Very well, thanks Al. Yeah, not too bad at all. Just had a coffee, so uh, perking up. That's good to know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you won't need to have a, a quick toilet break in the middle of this. All, all sorted, thanks. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. How, how about you, Tom L? I'm extremely wet because I'm only in Bristol for our offices for one day today. So I packed light and paid the consequences. Where I had to basically decide whether to walk or ride into the office this morning, and riding was definitely not the right choice. Perfect for waterproof testing. If you had bothered to pack one, exactly. If I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. My top half was fine. I had a waterproof jacket, but uh, yeah, the, the trouser department, I'm not so lucky. Oh dear. Uh, hopefully no one's misconstruing that for it, any other form of Exactly. Accident. It's it's a good job that I'm only 31. Otherwise, yeah, it might be a bit awkward. Yeah. And uh, how about you, Luke? Are you just as soggy? I, I was, but fortunately my uh, I managed to get changed out of my riding clothes. So cycling this morning, but uh, I had a fresh set of dry clothes at work, so not sitting in a soggy pants. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's what we like to hear. So what have you guys all been up to recently? Have you been uh, up to any kind of exciting technical wizardry or anything, Luke? Uh, yeah, I have. But uh, it's a bit of a shame because I can't quite tell you. But I was away last Ooh. week, um, end of, start of December, on a, on a new bike that's coming out. Um Spanish brands. So. Well, hang hang on a second. When, when is the bike coming out? Because this is being published on the 5th of January. So actually, we might be able to it's talk about it. still no exact confirmed embargo, but it might be out by now. Chances are it will okay. be, but um, having no hard deadline to work from, I can't say too much. Oof, exciting. I am salivating at the teasing prospect that you've you've given us there. Um, how, how about you, Tom, Tom, uh, Tom L.? It's, it's difficult with L and M and two T's. There's uh, lots of very close alphabetic names. Call me Marv for the day. Okay. J- just the day? Just the day, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right then, Marv. 
<laughs> he's not in home alone uh yeah no i'm, I'm good thanks alex uh, i've just been wrapping up testing on the noble wheels that i've been trying with birds uh fabric spokes so i did some final back-to-back testing at a very frozen landagler on friday which was interesting mm. ground with rock hard which is ideal for testing compliance and things like that which is what they claim it's so going to be wrapping up scripts on those and video plan for 2024. We've got some great ideas in the pipeline for next year. So stay tuned to the channel to see all of those. Oof, exciting. Uh, and Marv, I know that you're, uh, <laughs> you've got some big plans in the next, in the coming weeks. Uh, so d- d- just for our, our listeners, we're recording this pre-Christmas. Um, and I know that maybe you've got some exciting stuff coming up that also you probably can't talk about. Yeah, I can't talk about this until February. However, if uh, plans plans go as planned um there'll be plenty of content coming out around the launch in february of uh what i'm going to chile to go and see later this week so your first so, time to south america first time to south america yeah it'd be uh, a good experience i'm going down there for i think three days of riding uh with the brand and then uh, because i don't often go that far away i'm taking some annual leave burning through some of that and uh, heading down to patagonia to go walk oh going hiking very so nice. yeah, that sounds, that'd be nice. That sounds genuinely yeah. really exciting. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Looking forward to it. Yeah. How about you, Al? What are you up to? Uh, I have um, been wheels testing, base layers testing, goggles testing, and also doing some bike of the year wrangling. Mm. I actually got um, my third bike of the year bike or fourth. I can't remember the other day. The, so the white uh, E one hundred and fifty light. Um, so uh, Sam Shucksmith and uh, Mike Sanderson from White came up to the valley, the Tweed Valley, to to hand me over the bike and spent a day with them. And I've been been riding it a bit since. Um, and it's got the Bosch SX motor on it, um, which is the first time I've ridden one of those. And it's it's really interesting. It likes high cadences. Mm. The faster you spin your legs, the better it is. And by better, I mean more assistance. Mm-hmm. So. It's really important to stay on top of the gear, which, um, you know, it's is an interesting concept on an e-bike. You can't just sit there and grind at a low cadence. And, you know, everyone's always talking about natural feeling e-bikes. Um, and I think that maybe the Bosch SX motor is probably about as close as you can get to to mimicking the natural feel of increased cadence equals more power. Um, I guess my only initial thoughts on it, that if you're going up something super, super steep, it's really hard to keep on top of the gear whilst also being in a position that you can ride technical climbs at the same time because basically you're maxing out your legs um so i've had a few little bobbles on the uh, on the climbs just trying to get used to we that need some uh, need some bigger cassettes out there start bumping up the tooth can get closer to 60 <laughs> yeah why not yeah yeah well maybe that would be the that would be the next thing maybe bosch will be uh, maybe bosch will be be putting out some chunky cassettes be exciting 60 tooth big as your disc rotor why not? Much bigger, wouldn't it? Cool. Okay. So um, just a quick one, guys. If you do, or maybe you actually don't like the Bike Radar podcast, we would still love to hear from you. Please do email podcast at bikeradar.com with your thoughts, opinions, ideas, anything. We just want to hear from you guys. And it's always great when we get an email. We're all very excited to, to read it, to reply. Um, so please do let us know. And if you wouldn't mind, do give us a rating on your favorite podcast provider. That'll help uh, them know that, you know, we're actually doing a reasonable job um, or, you know, maybe we're not and we need to improve things. Either way, let us know, but it's great to have you here. 
And don't forget as well, now this is January, so we've come towards the end of it, but there is the MBUK podcast. So if you haven't heard about this already, what have you been doing? You obviously haven't been listening to the Bike Radar podcast because we haven't stopped talking about it. Uh, but there's a 12-part <laughs> series looking at the past 35 years of mountain biking, from the bikes, the riders, the locations. Uh, it's been a really cool series. It's coming to a close, but obviously all the episodes are still available. Um, so have a little search for the MBUK podcast, click on the links, get it downloaded onto your phone and give it a listen. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And who wouldn't want to hear your lovely dulcet tones, Tom? Sorry, I'm in oh. Marv. <laughs> it's, not, it's not 12 episodes of monologue from me, fortunately. <laughs> uh, our uh, regular guest, Rob Weaver, is the co-host. Uh, and we have uh, guest spots from our very own Luke Marshall, from the editor of MBUK, James Costley-White, and from John Oldell uh, from Marin Bikes, who has a wealth of knowledge uh, and we also have Rach as well from MBUK who chipped in for a couple of episodes. So uh, a, a, an all-star cast. Yeah, absolutely. A big shout out to uh, to John's tattoos on his on his hands. Uh, Dirt love he's got written yes. on his <laughs> on his digits, which is uh, absolutely beautiful and very apt because <laughs> the guy epitomises bike riding. He's like the nicest guy in the world. He really is lovely. And I met him in um, Leger about nine years ago. It was the first time I came across it when he worked for Fox. And I saw this guy with like loads of tats and I was I was terrified. <laughs> but it turned out I started chatting to him. Turns out really lovely. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. There you go. And he's also he's also like six foot seven or whatever it is. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Watch out for John down a dark alley. Except he's not, he'd be absolutely lovely. He'll totally have your back. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, seeing as we're talking about 2024, um, and this is going out in 2024. We have bashed our collective heads together to come up with what we think the New Year's trends are going to be. Now, we've got quite a few eclectic opinions here today. Um, you know, we're not all barking up the same tree, so maybe some of us will be wrong. Maybe some of us will be right. So, Luke, what do you think is going to be one of the biggest trends in 2024? Uh, what I'm hoping for, it's going to be the rise of the more modestly priced e-bikes. Um, so e-bikes, I guess, have notoriously been relatively expensive. Um, the addition of the motor and the battery, the hardware, the software, all the developments had to go into it. You know, it's not uncommon to see, I mean, moderately spec'd e-bikes costing six, seven, eight grand, if you know what I mean. Um, but hopefully, you know, e-bikes have been on the market for a few years now and brands have kind of figured out the best way to implement all that tech into the frames and the bikes we'd love to ride and motor manufacturers are slowly diversifying their lineup and have got like with Shimano it's, it's two tiers and it's e-bike motors the EP801 and the EP600 motor which deliver the same specs and power um, but one's lighter and one's heavier so often similar to normal drivetrains um, so hopefully you know, in, in 2024, there'll be e-bikes that start to be more moderately priced or more slightly wallet friendly. And and we're kind of, you can find some good deals in the shops at the minute already, but there are definitely a few brands worth mentioning. I said, I don't know what the future of the Vitus brand will be, but fingers crossed someone can come in and save that brand because they're doing some incredible bikes at the minute um, for good prices. Their new e-mythic LT range. I know you've tested one already, Al. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, really like that. It was a great, great bike with the with the Bafang motor, um, which uh, Vitus helped co-develop with Bafang specifically for for their E-Mythic LT. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think you had the top spec one. Um, there's a pretty decent bunch of kit on it, but that's like £4,400. And, you know, the, the cheapest model is £3,300. So, you know, that's this, it's a, a decent price for an e-bike that you wouldn't been able to find a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a compelling, compelling prospect. And even prior to all of the crazy discounts that you're seeing on on retailers at the moment, like the the Vitus uh, e Summit range as well, was you know with the with the Shimano motor, absolutely banging value for money, like incredible. Yeah, but I mean, so you you got brands like Vitus they're doing, but there's also like Specialized and Cube, Saracen, Canyon, Focus. I mean, even Intense have a their let's say base model. E Tracer Alloy um, Expert is is four and a half thousand pounds for an intense e bike. Who would have ever thought that? You know, five yeah. years ago that you'd pick up a, an intense for that price, let alone an e bike intense. So there's yeah. um there's yeah a, a, a range of bikes coming out. Um, the one not to forget is the the new Stylus bike being launched at Decathlon, the Big E. Um, this is one of the only bikes I've seen recently has actually gone up in price. It did. It, oh, is it? <laughs> it was uh, originally around, I think, four thousand two hundred pounds. Um, but you got a full like um, latest Bosch Gen Four CX motor, seven hundred fifty watt hour battery, one hundred seventy mm. mil travel front and rear. But I mean, prices increased to like four and a half thousand pounds. But it's still like it, which is still uh, that's bonkers value for a Bosch for a Bosch Smart System seven fifty watt hour battery. You know, that's that's insane. Yeah, value. yeah, incredible. So I fingers crossed. I'm I'm fortunate. I've got a, a e-bikes test coming up more wallet friendly e-bikes tests coming up in a few months time so getting my hands on a few of these bikes and um and yeah really looking forward to it and uh, interested to see what performance they can bring to riders that can't stretch their budgets to you know eight nine grand for a, a decent e-bike so do you think that like the the s-works equivalent or like the you know the top range models do you think they're still going to cost 12 13 sometimes even fifteen thousand pounds or do you think they will also come down in price do you think the whole market is maybe readjusting there no, or? i think s works for example is its own little brand as such that will always be extortionately expensive but i think it just has that uh it tries to be that boutique brand if you know what i mean specialized off a, a wide range of you know models generally to cover a wide variety of prices that so, I think special like S-Works will always be their, uh, their boutique version. I think it will always hold that high price to um, keep it that way and aim to offer something a bit different. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, you know, trickle-down technology will help. And as there's e-bikes become more and more popular, um, we're speaking to some people away um, last week where I was testing a new e-bike. I was asking them, like, uh, uh, are your e-bike sales you know, is there more demand for that than regular bikes? And they're like, yeah, completely. It's all, everyone's ordering e-bikes. Um, read mm, still, yeah, read an article the other day um, from one of our media cousins over in Germany. And they were saying that like in German, the e-bike market is nine times stronger than the normal traditional bike market. Oh, wow. So I think there's a, I think maybe, you know, in the future, maybe not too distant future we'll all be on e-bikes yeah and as this um yeah as this happens hopefully you know prices come down and affordability goes up and maybe uh yeah 2024 might be the start of a, a good change cool yeah that would be good i mean it'd be really good i guess that there is still no replacement for a horrible dirty suffer fest 
when you absolutely go out and lash yourself with a cat of nine tails for an hour and a half, two hours, and you you know do your quickest lap. But you can also do that on an e-bike. You know, that's a, that's a big old misconception about e-biking is that, oh, you know, it's super easy, super chill. But actually, if you want to completely make your life hell, you can do that. So maybe we will all be riding e-bikes soon. Hmm. The two Tom's not quite yeah. so convinced about that. No. Well, I, I think <laughs> there's still just like that that barrier for entry. Like I've been for far too long now because I haven't really had the time to dedicate to it. Been riding uh, Decathlon's cheapest e-mountain bike, the EST100. So that's like a thousand pound price point. I think last time I checked it was actually 900 pounds. Um, so that's just like a really basic e-hardtail with a hub-driven motor rather than the crank-based ones that we're perhaps used to. Um, and while like a 500 pound hardtail like is still quite a capable bike, that thing gets out of its depth very, very quickly. Um, the motor just doesn't really have the assistance to get you up some of the steepest pitches uh, that you might find, you know, even on, you know, sort of like a, a blue or a red trail center sort of loop. So, um, you know, I mean, I think we'd be safe in saying that like generally an e-bike is roughly double the price of a regular sort of bike, would we say? that's fairly fair yeah. isn't it really um but yeah i think at the lower end of the market the the gap is even bigger to get something that's as good as a you know 500 pound hardtail you've got to go quite a bit higher in price um you know to to get something that that is decent um you know if you just want to bimble about um then it would be okay um you know flatter sort of fire paths and uh you know canal tow paths and things like that was a outright mountain bike yeah i think the the really budget end of the market still has a fair way to go so i don't think we're going to be quite there in 2024 as that goes but certainly for like entry level four suspension bikes yeah as luke says be good to see even more better value options out there well when me and luke are flying around on our hover bikes and you're stuck on the ground we'll uh, we'll see you later pal <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a nice wave from our nice pillowy air cushion beneath us <laughs> cool okay so tom sorry marv i keep keep doing this marv for, for the day uh what, what do you envisage for 2024 so my prediction for next year or for this year as it is uh is that less mainstream brands will become more mainstream brands um so it's kind of more that I'm kind of crossing my fingers for more imaginative spec choices uh, being made by product managers um, basically, you know, when you see it, when a new bike comes out, you can almost guarantee, especially if it's from any brand that isn't like a small niche country specific brand like Kotick in the UK, for example, um, that every model will be littered with Shimano or SRAM, Fox or RockShox, and maybe a little bit of Mazoki if they're feeling kind of adventurous, which is basically Fox because they're a, a, a sibling brand of Fox um, and Schwalbe or Maxxis tyres. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, really understandable why that's the case. Um, they're, they're massive companies. They offer probably very good OEM prices. Um, they're also a known quantity. So, you know, as a, a customer, you go into a shop and you see a, a RockShox Pike, you know exactly what it is and why it's there. If you see a, a Magic Mary, you know, you've got a solid tire there, so long as it's in a, a decent compound, X, Y, Z. Um, and I guess like for us as like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to put an in inverted commas here, professional bike testers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it means that like, you know, when we're reviewing a bike, 
you know, the dream for reviewing any product is that the variables are minimized. That's why we do back-to-back testing on the same day on the same trails with as much of the same, so, you know, for testing wheels, put the same tires on on the same bike and do it all at the same time, you know, to minimize those variables. So if you're getting a load of bikes and they, you know, and they kind of all have a couple of forks, they're all known quantities, right? The Fox 34 on one bike with a grip damper feels the same as the same Fox 34 on a different bike. So you, you're kind of minimizing those those variables a little bit so in theory it just means that when we're reviewing lots of different bikes more of our reviewing energy can go on to reviewing the frame which is really like one of the biggest variables and arguably the most important variable so you know from a sort of a testing point of view it's really useful from a buying point of view it's also kind of useful because as i said it's so easy to sort of walk in and know exactly what you're looking at when you when you go into a bike shop. I feel like there needs to be a really good butt coming in here. <laughs> there is a really good butt coming in. However, and this is it, variety is the spice of life. Mm. And yeah, so I sort of, the reasons why I sort of hope that this spec, this diversification occurs is for a, a couple of reasons. Like first, the first one, right, is entirely selfish. So I enjoy riding different bikes. I enjoy riding different bits of kit. You know, and if um, if I'm not sort of doing, you know, the, this year's suspension fork test, which is, you know, quite likely to be Luke or Al or, or Rob or whatever, it's unlikely that I'm ever going to ride a fork from SR Suntour, maybe from Manitou, Cane Creek. Like, I've not ridden the, the late... I haven't ridden an SR Suntour fork for a long time. I haven't ridden a, a Helm for quite a little while. And actually, I'd quite like to. But because I'm not doing that, that test, and because none of the bikes that I'm testing come with those products, I just don't really have many opportunities to do so. So if I was able to test all these different forks, you know, from different brands, it increases like my base knowledge of products, it makes me more informed, and it means it's easy for me to then pick holes in the products that maybe are more common. So if I was able to ride, you know, the damping from Cane Creek or the chassis from from SR Suntour, maybe actually when I then jump back onto those more common forks from Fox and RockShox, it's a bit easier to be like, actually, you know, this, 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 and this, because I've got a, a broader base knowledge and there's more to sort of think about. Also, I actually think that the market would benefit from breaking this, what I've called the current componentry duopoly. Mm. So there are sort of smaller brands out there fitting products from other brands. You know, Kotec, as I've mentioned in the past, are pretty good for doing it. Bird as well, you know, you might get a Cane Creek fork or a Formula fork. You might get different brakes. Um, but what it really needs is the likes of Trek, Specialized, you know, the big brands to move away from the big couple of companies that dominate the um, the OEM uh, component spec lists. Um, it would give more choice to the consumer. Uh, it would also help those smaller brands build better products. You know, if, if they're being requested to build twice as many forks, maybe they've got a bit more money to put into developing them into making the next generation forks even better. And so you're going to end up with better products across the range and you might also help lowering prices. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm hoping. Maybe it's not a, a sort of a a prediction because I actually don't think it's going to happen but I think it'd be great if it did um so yeah as I said I totally understand why everyone buys bikes with all these things and I understand why component manufacturers are, are so dominant and I understand why bike companies use them but I would like it if it wasn't the case and I think so, some brands are almost doing themselves out of a bit of performance there um that white e-light that I was talking about earlier that's got hope brakes on it and I've completely bowled over by their performance mm. They are they're like insanely powerful. Like a, and and I've kind of like begs the question now, well, if you're a brand manager and you go out and try that, 
why would you not spec those brakes over your standard ones? Um, you yeah. know, over your Shimano whatever or your SRAM whatever. Um, they're so it, good. I guess it is that sort of um, that reticence to deviate from the mainstream because, mm. you know, if you, you know, everyone, when it comes to sort of products, everyone's got like their their preferred options. But I guess when you boil down to the law of averages, most people are going to prefer products from the biggest brands. Mm. But I'd agree. You not use your voice in the media to then start changing the consumer standard perspective that, you know, it needs to be Fox or RockShock or Shram or Shimano to be a, a decent product. And it's actually say, oh, no, there's plenty of other good stuff out there. We need to start spreading the I mean, love I, for other, other stuff. Yeah, I feel, yeah. la revolution. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we do, we do a good job of, of when we're reviewing things, we, we spread our wings a bit. You know, like I did the brakes test this last year. Last year I did the brakes test, you know, and we had brakes from Hayes, from Hope, from Clark's, from, you know, pretty much every every brand out there. Um, you know, you you know, I know Luke, you've tested a lot of forks from every brand. And, you know, where a product deserves recognition, it gets recognition. I've just reviewed the Manitou Matic, you know, again, like a fork that I've not seen on any production bikes. But actually, if I saw it on a production bike, I'd be well stoked. It's cool. It's yeah, great. Was, and it's interesting. The Formula Fork won the Enduro test and the Manitou Mesa Pro won the budget pack fork test, if you know what I mean. Mm. Those two products. Which is a great fork. See, so, yeah, I mean, Al, if you walked into a bike shop and you saw, you know, 10 bikes lined up, nine of them have got a RockShox Lyric or a 38 on the front. They've got code RSCs on there. They've got a, a Fox DPX2 Shock uh, Schwalbe tyres. Would you pick that one or would you pick the one that's got a, a Manitou Mezza and a Hayes Dominion uh, and tyres from WTB? What would you do? Are they the same price? Yes. Oh God! You're, you're gonna. Everyone's gonna hate me. I, I would go to the known quantity. Well, exactly, and that's why. But that's yeah. why that, and it's totally understandable. And that's why those few brands absolutely dominate the market. Yeah. I just wish it wasn't the case. Yeah. I yeah, think we'd all be I mean, better off for it. We'd all be better off. Yep. Fully agreed. Yeah. Like wider, more open market with more, more choice, more options equals more competitive performance more competitive prices more competitive everything which benefits everybody yeah well in tom's beautiful paradise-like future let's hope that we can all have all of the different components and parts that we ever dreamed of on all of our bikes um how about you tom and now this is actually quite a fitting uh segue into yours i think yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you guys are more in the know when it comes to what we can and can't speak of. So I may be completely wide of the mark of this one because I'm not as clued up. But I don't think we're going to see Shimano introduce any new high-end mountain bike group sets next year and possibly even into the future as well. Um, just because we've seen their Saint group set, you know, I mean, it's, it's 10 years old this year. It was last revised in 2013. Uh, the Z group set was slowly sort of phased out during COVID. You know, I had people when I was working in the shop asking for Z brakes and you look for them, you're like, oh, they don't sell them anymore. So that never got a second album. SRAM are dominating like the high end, you know, drivetrain market with their T-type sort of drivetrain. And I can't really see how Shimano are going to up the game really i'm not a big fan of the semi-wireless di2 stuff that they've introduced i know that they've introduced xt di2 link glide for the e-bikes 
Um, we've also seen them do the queue stuff at the budget end of the market, which which is where a lot of the the money is, I think, in terms of you know sort of how they're going to generate their profit. They don't make their millions from XTR sales. It's the basic stuff. So I do think we'll see Shimano focusing on the MCB side of the market with their XT and sort of filtering that down to a lower level and their Qs will just dominate lower end sales and SRAM will continue to do the high end. So yeah, I might be completely wide of the mark, but even though it's a an Olympic year where you perhaps expect to see, you know, new XTR coming out, I don't think we're going to be seeing it this year. It's it's an interesting point. So I think there's there's two things to this. XTR is still the lightest. Yeah, upset. exactly. It's still it's, it's still the still, lightest. It still shifts right. really nicely. So yep. what is going to make it semi wireless or anything else? What difference is it going to make? They've they've got that USP. It's the lightest. It's fine. They're past their. They normally revise their group sets every four years. It was last done in 2018. So by the time we get through to this year, 2024, that's going to be six years. They're almost 50% through the life cycle in theory of the next XTR group set that we haven't even seen yet. And I say Saint is a decade old. And like it's been a while since I've ridden Saint brakes, but they're still really good. Like if a bike came with Saint brakes, I'd be stoked. Yeah, so yeah. It, it all works fine. Why change it? Uh, I guess on the other hand then, uh, Dior and Q's absolutely hands it, no offence, SRAM, but it hands it to SRAM's equivalents of SX and NX. Like, you know, I think you'd be you'd be silly to choose uh, the SRAM option over the Shimano one. 100%. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's an Ooh. interesting one. We'll have to see. But again, by yeah. the same token, like going back to Tom's point, like I tested TRP's new Evo 12 drivetrain. And it, it, it is a good group set. You know, I was quite impressed with how well it shifted. It seems to be pretty durable, but it's not as good as XTR. It's not as good as SRAM's T-Type, yet it's priced similarly to those guys. So again, like some of the smaller brands do, I think, shoot themselves in the foot sometimes with that OE spec side of things. Like if you're a product manager, you're going to be a brave guy to spec TRP and bump the price up, you know, by sort of four to five hundred pounds or dollars compared to specking XT or GX. And if you are spending that money, you're going to want the higher end. So uh, yeah, an interesting one. Mm. Uh, Marv, did you did you have any thoughts on that? Because I know that you're a you're a staunch Shimano uh, <laughs> lover. I guess would be the the best way of putting it, and, and and rightly so. You know, it's it is absolutely brilliant. There's no two ways about it. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of what they do. I like their brakes. I like the way their their brakes feel, which I know not everyone does. But um, I like their digital on off. Um, I think as as I sort of alluded to, when it comes to mechanical drivetrains, Shimano. Uh, step ahead of of SRAM when it comes to that side of things. I'm not going to say that uh, I'm not a fan of uh, SRAM's access stuff. I think it's brilliant. I I have some questions over it, but um, overall, like, would I pick uh, a trail bike or an enduro bike with access over a mechanical group set? Yes, I would. Would I pick an XC race bike with transmission over XTR? I'm not sure I would. Um, there are various reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's maybe a, a pod for another day. Um, but the weight, the shifting when I want it to shift, not when it wants to shift. Um, and, you know, I, I did an XC test earlier this year with both Access and XTR. And XTR, you know, if you've got, you know, if it's an XC race bike, you're going to look after your bike if it's eight, nine grand. Mm. An XTR with fresh, clean, nicely running cables is a yeah, joy to use. 
Yeah, it's that's very unreal. Good. Um, the one thing I would say on SRAM's sort of uh, plus side is, especially at that lower end when we're talking Dior, NX, GX, Mechanical, the SRAM stuff feels better when it's coated in mud and is in grotty conditions. Shimano started recently to feel pretty, maybe not so nice. But anyway, that's a by the by. I um, I understand where we're coming from with this with, with this prediction, Tom. I'm not sure I agree. I don't know if we'll see 2024 new XTR. Um, Shimano aren't exactly the um, <clears throat> the most prompt. No. When it comes to getting things out. I think when I went on the previous generation XTR launch, we went on the launch nine months before it was available. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Plenty so, of time um, to write that story out then. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. <laughs> it was not, well, it was actually nine months after the embargo. It's a bit oh. of a shocker. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, 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 see, we'll see. We'll see. But I, yeah, I see where you're going. And it'd be interesting to see what they do with XTR if they are to do it again. Hmm. Because they, they probably don't need to adjust the gear ratios of the cassette because no. I think no. there's a pretty unanimous uh, adoration of Shimano's ratios. Um, yeah. On power shifting's really good. Off mm. power shifting's really good. I think my main complaint with Shimano, uh, don't hate me Shimano, is the number of derailleurs that I have broken. Now, whether that's a me issue or a something else issue is maybe a bit TP TBC, but... I have personally broken more Shimano derailleurs than I have SRAM. In um, recent years? Yep. Because I think that ratio has changed again for me as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, mm. I mean, ho hopefully we do see something. If, and if if we don't, then Tom, you're bang on the money. And if if we do, then brilliant. Let's have a party. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to see it. I just don't see how it makes financial sense for them to to do it. You know, the, the bike industry is going through a really difficult time at the minute. So when we've all sat here and said XTR is still nearly six years after its launch, one of the best group sets around, why, why mess with it? It doesn't make sense mm, to invest mm. millions of dollars into creating something new when it's already doing really well, everybody loves it, why change it, plow that money into something else where you're actually going to make more money from it. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll go last then, seeing as uh, I'm the last one to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, personally, 2024 and beyond, I'm going to caveat this, we'll see more balanced bike geometry. So we've had a longer, slacker, lower trend for years now. And I think that you know, geometry is starting to kind of stabilize a little bit. Like, you know, very few brands are going slacker than 62 degree on enduro bikes. And they're not going much steeper than 78 degrees on seat tube angles. Large bikes reaches are like 480-ish for pre, you know, it's pretty middle of the road. But there's still a front to back imbalance, especially on the larger sizes. So chainstays are still hovering around the 430 to 450 millimeter kind of range um, and this is quite a bit shorter than the reach and what I reckon is going to happen is that brands will start to develop bikes with size specific chainstays that are actually way more size specific so a 480 millimeter reach bike might end up with something like a 460 millimeter chainstay and the differences between each of the size specific chainstays sorry the lengths will increase so your medium with a 450 millimeter reach We'll maybe have like a 430 or 440 millimeter chainstay. So rather than your 5 mil increments or your 10 mil increments between chainstay sizes from 430 to 445 or whatever, the jumps will be bigger 
and the balance of the bike will be improved. And what this will do, I think, is it will, it will just improve bike handling and it will unlock the next level of performance. So for beginners and for people who are maybe less experienced at biking, it will make their bikes more stable, it will make them easier to ride. And it will mean that they can access either higher speeds or more control or more fun quicker and easier. For your uh, slightly more experienced riders, you know, people who like racing, people who really, really want to go fast and push the limits, it will actually lift that glass ceiling above where it currently is that's kind of inhibited by this front to back balance that riders are constantly having to compensate for with weight shifts and, you know, changes in the way they ride. So for me, an ideal world in 2024, I would like to see the development of bikes with a better, more balanced front to back ratio. Boom. Do you think that, you know, length at the front end, a lot of it has been done maybe to improve stability and high speed performance. Do you think a, a length and lengthening of the rear end might result in a slight shortening of the front end? So you still get all of that stability from a long wheelbase without it being reliant on the front center? Mm. Now, I hadn't actually thought of it in that way around. And yeah, absolutely. I, th I think whatever needs to be done to make it more balanced, um, I think that that would be the key. Like, I think just getting that ratio right, it, it needs to be like, a, there must be a magic number. There must be some kind of, you know, special formula where someone's plucked some amazing mm. spices out of a bag mm. with no, no writing on it and sprinkled it all over their bike. And whether that's a shortening of the front, it could be. Um, but with an overall lengthening or at least similar length wheelbase, um, I think there's I think there's so many advantages to be had there. Mm. Um, I've got a Canyon Lux Trail at the moment, um, and I've done a done a few laps on it. And genuinely, it's a really good bike. Actually, I'm I'm really quite impressed with it. But you can tell that the front to back balance isn't quite there, and you notice it most when you're um, maybe being a bit lazy, not concentrating, and your weight is so far rearward because the rear wheel is so close to the center of the bike, your effective weight is a long way back. And when you don't think about weighting the front wheel enough, you, you're kind of going wide in turns. You're like, you're all over the shop. Your weight's all over the shop. And as soon as you switch back to your, okay, concentrate, get that weight over the front wheel, it's all okay again. But if that rear end was a bit longer or front end shorter or a combination of whatever it needs to be to make that balance better, you wouldn't necessarily have that problem. I rode a Lapier E-Zesty many years ago with an early Fazio motor, which had 467 chain stays and wow, like geez. a 440 front end or something like that. Oh, so and that's, that's the wrong way around. That's the wrong way around. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it was a Bosch. No, it was a Bosch. It was a first generation Lapier with Bosch motors. Sorry, not with the Fazio one. The Fazio one was pretty good, actually. But mm. pre prior to that, yeah, sorry, it was an Overvolt, I think. Yeah, 467 at the back and I think 440 or 445 at the front. Yeah. Wild. So hmm. imagine if that front end had been 470 or 480. And I bet your balance then would have been, would have been spot on. I mean, that bike would have been so far into the future that you know, but it's because mines obviously would have been blown. mines would have been blown. It was it was because you know Bosch motors required such rear rear end geometry at the time. Yeah, it was the same on um, Scott's uh, Genius e bike, their first one with the external battery, and a lot of Giants as well. Mm. They had insanely long rear centers, but without a correspondingly long front end. Mm. Um, so one little thing about this that's kind of a little bit interesting is the smaller size bikes. So you're looking at XS and S. 
they actually have reach numbers that are pretty close to their chain stays. Um, and I've never heard, um, you know, a, a super small rider moan about bike stability, i.e. that it's too stable or too controlled. And it's almost like those guys are getting a bit of a peek into the future about, you know, something that are slightly taller riders. Um, and by taller, I mean, you know, over five foot eight. Sorry, Luke. I think you're five foot seven and three quarters, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. Five for eight, but I think seven and three quarters is fine now. Okay. Um, you know, us, us slightly bigger riders who are on mediums or larger, um, we're actually, you know, I think we're missing out. I think there's definitely something to be done about it. Um, and let's not just forget one shout out to a good friend of mine, Paul Aston, who has gone absolutely bonkers and his uh, custom bikes that he builds or has built for him, um, their chain stays are like, you know, 500 millimeters, the same as the reach essentially. Um, and you watch a video of that guy ride and you're like, okay, it obviously works. You know, he's doing manuals, he's popping wheelies, he's doing all sorts of things. So why hasn't the industry got there yet? If it's this good and the success that pro riders have had on maybe outdated geometry now, especially rear center geometry, why, yeah. what's been yeah. missing? Like the success that Jack Moyer had and uh, Jesse Nellemann had on the latest Canyon Strive, which is super long at the front and super short at the back. Um, obviously, big inputs from Fabian Burrell, World Red. Like, how come these bikes haven't seen the future? How come they're still, you know, the fastest enduro bikes out there? Mm, yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, I think a lot of that is uh, rider skill. Um, mm. you this know, is my Fabian. Point in, I was going to interrupt with yeah. earlier is that he's saying that okay. If you have a long rear center, long front center, and you don't have to move around the bike, you don't have to load the front wheel. It's like then, okay, is it you're making the ride experience or easier as such, rather than maybe it's not mm. actually upping the performance of the bike. It's just somehow you make it a little bit more rideable for people who aren't professionals, but the professionals can get away with something that is more agile and more demanding. I guess like road bike geometry that the super short super steep super twitchy but for me to ride that on the road would be horrible I like i'd rather ride a gravel bike yeah. but for matthew vanderpoel that's exactly what they want mm. yeah as a, as a as an elbows down um certified dribbler i would gladly take <laughs> any free advantages that i can i can get my hands on and then also <laughs> my guess for the enduro oh sorry Luke. Uh, so, so just one more quick point about like if you start making Chain stay lengths very different depending on size. That obviously changes the leverage on the shocks. So now each size bike then have to have a specific shock tune. So as where before you could have just okay tuned a shock for a frame because each of the rear centers was the same 440 millimeters. But if you have a 435, a 440, 450, 460 for your small to XL bikes. Each of those shocks is now going to have to have a custom tune because the leverage on it is different. Mm. Um, and our brands do have the resources and the time to figure all that out. Is it easier for them just to keep one? Uh, maybe if there? they went to um, some smaller shock brands, maybe maybe they'd be given the option. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and I, I would I would politely say that um, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing properly. And if this is indeed the magical keys to the the wizardry door of you know Narnia or wherever it is that you may be looking to get to, then it needs to be done. And if that's what's required, then yeah. flipping it, get on there, boys, get on there. 
I mean, or is it just as simple as the fact that everybody already knows this, but they also know that if the box for a bike is now 25% longer, that they won't be able to fit as many in a shipping <laughs> container and it will just cost them more money. Be, Jesus, be, get that, get that tinfoil hat on, my friend. <laughs> yeah, being, being, being really cynical. But it's a valid point. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. multiplied thousands of times, that's going to cost the companies more money. Then also, like, going back to Luke's point with Jack and Jesse... Like those guys are often riding courses pretty much blind. So having a more agile, edgy bike might actually help them if they need to make a last minute sort of maneuver because they're slightly offline or what have you. Having an inherently unstable bike might help them to ride faster. Which just go back to that skill side of things. When you look at like Max Verstappen in Formula One, like he has a very different car setup to a lot of other people because he wants the back end of the car to move around. So some of it might just be down to that as far as those guys go. They just want an inherently unstable bike just so if they are slightly offline, it's easier for them to hop it back onto the side of the trail, get yeah. back onto the line they want to, than rely on you know something that the rest of us that are substantially less skilled just want that extra stability. Well, on, on that note, I think we should, uh, we should call the debate a day. Um, and leave it in the laps of the gods to decide what 2024 will actually bring. Um, please do email us if you've got any ideas about what this year is going to be bringing our delightful cycling disciplines. You know, is there going to be new tech? Are there going to be new trends? We want to know what you think. So please email podcast at bikeradar.com. Thank you all for your time this morning. It's much appreciated. It's been lovely chatting. Cheers out. Yeah, and you have. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, catch you all on the next podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. Bye.